Good morning, church. Hey, before we get going, I'm very proud of my interns, Haley and Haley, who led us this morning. If they've been an encouragement to you, you give them a hand. I'm glad you're here with us as well this morning for, for many, many reasons, uh, but one of those reasons is we are uh, capping off the end of this summer, walking through a series, looking at the values of our church, uh, because we believe these values have helped protect our mission that God has given us to be disciples who make disciples, and not only do we believe that these Christ-centered values are doing that uh, the last 50 years, we believe in the years to come and for many more that God will use these specific values to protect our mission uh, as a church. If New Hope is your church home, if you're a member here, whatever you want to call it, this is where you've landed. If you just want to be a part of what God is doing here over the next couple of years, it's going to be really important that if you've missed the last two weeks, obviously you're not missing today, good job, or the next weeks to come as we walk through this series, it'll be important that if you want to be a part of what God is doing, that you are intentional to going back and listening to those because the sermons and the conversation that we're having are laying the foundation for why we feel God is calling us to do what he's called us to do. And specifically, that looks like, as Rob shared two weeks ago, part of that is going to be expanding this building to create more room uh, for our children's space and more room for worship, hopefully to get us from three to two services. That would be nice, okay? I, my uh, prayers would be answered if that happens. So that's the first thing, and that's hopefully going to happen in the near future, depending on how you define the word near. Uh, the second thing is we, are, we feel called then to also equip and to prepare a people of you all to go out and to plant a church in a nearby community. It won't be a campus of New Hope. It will be an independent Christian church, and we will need people who are ready to go and to serve that community and to make disciples uh, wherever that ends up being. So it's important that you catch these sermons if you're traveling or gone. They're online. They're on YouTube. They are available for our church family. Well, one thing that is all the rave right now with all the young kids, and I could say that because I'm a dad now, okay, is these videos that they call core memories. I don't know if you've heard of that. Kids get on their, you know, their apps, their tickety-tockety, Instagram, whatever apps. They get on there. First service knew what I was talking about. And they, they post these videos called core memories, and they're memories that they don't want to ever forget in their life. You know, things like late night Taco Bell runs with their high school friends, road trips, vacations with their families, what they want to remember as their core memories. And I've seen all of these many, many times on my phone because, believe it or not, these videos have been uploaded more than 625 billion times. So there's something about core memories that resonate with the young folk, okay? So as I see these videos all the time as I am scrolling on my phone is makes you question, what are the core memories of my life? What are the things that I will never forget? Because I've, I've had a lot of core memories uh, recently in the past seven months. But one of those that's pertinent to our conversation that I remembered very, very vividly happened on August 20th of 2014. You may or may not know, uh, I served in the military for six years. I know maybe looking at me, or if you know me, you're probably skeptical that at one point I stood ready to deploy, engage, and destroy the enemies of the United States in close combat. So, Caitlin was like, they're not going to believe that you served in the Army. I said, I'll show a picture. So here's a picture of me when I was serving. Oh, sorry. Caitlin, Caitlin looked down. I was like, what happened? There we go. There I am. Why is everyone saying, oh, first service did that too. That is not cute. That is a cold-blooded killer right there in training. 
19 years old, 2014, I had no idea that I was about to get really good at mopping floors, okay? That's what we do in the National Guard. All right. August 20th, 2014. It's a day I'll never forget as a core memory. Uh, it was a day that began like any other day at basic training in Fort Benning, Georgia. I was awoken at 5 in the morning by three screaming drill sergeants that said, get up and to get out. And that specific day, they had in mind for us to take us to the low ropes team building obstacle course. Anyone ever done one of those before? Yeah, they're, they're called the confidence course. And that day I did not leave feeling too confident uh, in myself. The first obstacle, they line everyone up and I'm kind of towards the back. It's this... Uh, climbing rope. So you ever seen these 20 foot tall, big braided climbing ropes? And all these guys in front of me are like killing it. They're jumping up the rope. They're climbing up and down and as quick as they can. They're moving on to the next obstacle. And so it's my turn. And so I get up in line and I don't know, I know something about myself that I've never really had much upper body strength. I don't know if you guys, but you do need upper body strength uh, to climb this rope. So I jump out on it and for us guys who don't have upper body strength, they teach you that you can wrap your foot around the bottom and kind of push yourself up the rope so that you're not having to pull yourself up the rope. Well, every time I tried to do that, instead of going up, I was going down. And it uh, turns out after uh, pretty much embarrassing myself for several minutes and all the guys behind me heckling, all these drill sergeants, they just tell me, Faust, get off the rope and go to the next obstacle. You are embarrassing yourself. And I'm like, okay, okay, sorry. Well, they send me to the next obstacle. It's the monkey bars which also requires upper body strength. So I just try to do my best here, trying to serve my country. And I get on that, that first monkey bar, and it's called a monkey bar for a reason. So I try to swing out like a monkey and grab the next bar, and I fall. And I did that probably 20 times until literally my hands started to blister. Because you can't leave until they say, get out of here. So I'm trying to complete the monkey bars, and finally the drill sergeant takes me to the side, and he's like, Faust, you are embarrassing to your family and to your country. Get out of here. <laughs> I don't know if you know, drill sergeants are trained in the Army to be very encouraging. <laughs> when you're really low, they try to build you up, at least from my experience. Finally, they send us to the obstacle walls. These are a series of walls at 8 feet, 10 feet, 12 feet, 15 feet. And I, like I said, wasn't feeling too confident. I was feeling uh, pretty embarrassed and down on myself. And I thought, okay. How long before they tell me to get out of here? There's no way I'm going to be able to climb these walls. It looks something like this. So we're out there working these walls, but you have to do it as a team. I thought, maybe there's hope. I'm going to be the guy who can't get over, and my team's going to feel bad that they left me behind. So the first wall is easy enough. It's like eight foot. You can kind of just climb over it like that guy's doing right there. We all get over, feeling good about ourselves. But the next one is ten feet can't quite jump up and pull myself up over that wall. So we decide, hey, go ahead and get down on your hands and knees, and we'll use you as a step up. I was that guy. They told me to get down on my hands and knees. Okay. Uh, and so then we get to the 12-foot wall. Well, the guy who's down there on the ground trying to get us to lift up, he's, you know, not tall enough, so we have to kind of propel ourselves up over uh, using each other kind of as a human ladder. But then finally, we get to the 15-foot wall, and I'm like, okay, this is where... Most of us are probably going to fail. There's no way I'm going to accomplish this. And yet, through working together like these guys are doing here, through teamwork, a focus on the task at hand, we were able to climb that wall. And it's really a core memory of mine because I felt very proud of myself and very surprised 
uh, that we were able to get over that wall. Not only did we get over that wall, but we pulled every single man over that wall. So that's the core memory of my life, and I believe it perfectly, perfectly captures God's plan for missions. Because we've all been given this mission, this great commission by Jesus, who said, all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And to me, that sometimes feels like trying to scale a 15-foot wall by myself. But then Jesus adds on to that commission. He says, oh yeah, while you're doing that, which is already pretty difficult, uh, I need you to teach them everything that I've commanded you. Well, to me, most of the time, that feels like trying to scale a 100-foot wall by myself. And most of us, we live as though we're pretty confident we can't actually do that. Uh, We're struggling just to climb the rope or to do the monkey bars, kind of the basic uh, parts of our faith. If we're struggling in there, struggling in that way, there's no way that God's going to call me to fulfill that mission. That's, that's probably for somebody else. And sometimes we live as though this mission given to us as followers of Jesus is an obstacle that's actually impossible to complete, and so we don't even try. Well, today, I'm here to assure you, it is impossible by yourself. Accomplishing this mission is only possible if you're willing to partner with God, if you are willing to partner with his church And this mission is only possible, and this may be the most difficult part, is if you are willing to partner with other people. We would define our mission, our value of missions this way. New Hope has always partnered with others in the work of the gospel. We work with missionaries, both locally and globally. We embrace opportunities to support ministries and missionaries who glorify God and lead people to Jesus. We generously give of our time, talents, and resources to help fulfill the mission of God. So what's the mission of God? Well, last week, Rob delivered an incredibly bold and, for me at least, a convicting sermon on the value of biblical authority. We believe it is the foundation. It's the basis for our belief in God, our own identity, and our purpose, and His will for our lives today. We believe all Scripture is God-breathed. We believe it's his primary means of revealing himself to us. It could be said that to know God is to know his word. And then I would say, well, to know his word is to know his mission. It's been said if you take missions out of the Bible, if you took all the pages that are missional out of the Bible, the only thing you'd have left is the covers. 66 books, over 40 different authors, uh, over the count of 4,000 years of God speaking to his people and interacting with the world, all telling one story of a God who, for some reason, I still haven't figured it out, not only personally reveals himself, but who also is deeply concerned for and loves the world and the people in it. Even before Jesus, in the Old Testament, we see God moving on mission. And so if it's been a while since you've read all of your Old Testament, I'm going to attempt to give you a synopsis of the Old Testament in 60 seconds. So we're going to put this Bible, work, uh, this Bible degree to work. Here we go. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is where we speed up. And he creates humanity in his own image uh, to share in his glory, to rule and reign over all creation forever with him. He gave us from the beginning eternal, abundant life. But because of sin, we brought death into his perfect world. And so God, who is holy and has to deal with sin and remove it from his presence, he ends up instead removing himself and his holy presence from the earth and from sinful people. 
But thankfully, he doesn't write us off. He does not stay distant. Uh, he, he continues throughout all the Old Testament to reveal himself. First with Abraham. He chooses a people for himself. He says, I will be your God. You will be my people. And through you and these people and your offspring, I will bless all the nations. Well, they continue to disobey and to dishonor the Lord. And so then he, um, they find themselves in, uh, in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. And so then he personally reveals himself to Moses. He says, I am the one who was and who always will be. And I'm telling you to go and free my people, liberate them from their bondage to sin and slavery and bring them out to a promised land. A land that actually, if you look on the map, is in the center of all the nations at that time. Because God's mission was through his people Israel, that he had chosen, that he had redeemed, that he had saved from their slavery. He wanted to bless all of the nations through them. But instead, they continued to go back to their ways of sin and their life of sin and disobey. And they chose slavery again over the freedom that God had given them. But thankfully, God knew this would happen. Long ago, back in Genesis, he promised a Savior would come. A Messiah, one who would come and bring the full reign and rule of God's glory and his kingdom in all the earth, who would liberate his people from their bondage and bring back people into the presence of a holy God who would reign with him as it was in the beginning when God made the heavens and the earth. And so for 4,000 years, his people awaited this promised king. And patiently, as scripture says, and at the perfect time, the king came. But it wasn't a warrior who would lead this people in a revolution, and it wasn't a political figure who would overthrow the oppressive governments of the day. Actually, the Messiah was God himself who came to earth, the only one who was worthy to be their king, their Lord and their Savior. He was fully God and fully man, and his name was Jesus of Nazareth. Would you stand and hear the word of the Lord this morning? In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but children born of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus said in John, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and they will find pasture. But the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the last one, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. This is the gospel of Jesus. You may be seated. So here's the issue with what I just read, is a lot of Christians today read that and they think, 
Oh, great. God finished his mission. It's done. He sent Jesus to die on the cross, made the way and covered our sins. He raised him back to life three days later. Boom, mission accomplished. And now we're all just kind of sitting here waiting for him to come back. And God looks at life. And if you believe that that happened 2,000 years ago, you're good with God. You go to heaven. And if you don't, not so good. You go to hell. As if that was it. But everything we just read about doesn't talk, the language used is not talking about the end of a mission. That this was the completion, the final act. Everything we just read was talking about the beginning of a mission. And because of Jesus, God once again has saved us and chosen a group of people to carry out his mission on the earth. And who's that group of people? It's us. It's the church. And God reminds his church of this through uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. He's not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us, the church, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And so since the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, 2,000 years ago, the church always has and always will be God's primary means of doing his work and carrying out his will in the world. Not because of how amazing we are, but because he's given us his spirit, he's given us his resurrection power, and probably most importantly, he's given us his authority. The church is God's plan A, and there is no plan B to accomplish this mission. What an incredible responsibility that is, and what an incredible calling that we can now live our lives and the purpose of our lives towards. God has given that to you and to me, not by anything that we've done, but because of Christ, and for those of us who are in Christ, to represent him in everything we say and do. This has been the mission of the church, of this church, uh, for the past 50 years, to go and to make disciples, to raise people to new life in Christ through baptism, to teach them the commandments of God, and to be his ambassadors wherever we go. And therefore, because of that mission, that's why for the last 50 years, this church has been dedicated to partnering with local and global missions. So here's a few things that we do uh, to protect the value of missions. We strategically partner with over 18 different missions and missionaries, making disciples in ways and in places we can't as we, as New Hope, invest in the kingdom of God. We make that investment in the kingdom by giving uh, to missions more than 20% of your all's tithes and offerings. We partner with Glenn and Sherry Russell who make disciples in Panama, and we cover 100% of their financial need, and we are their soul-supporting church. We are also a sending church where we've sent uh, over three missionaries uh, to serve in Turkey and in Spain, Cody, Sylvia, and Diana, and we pray that God would allow us to send more. We plan to continue to send people out to visit our missionaries for encouragement and to send larger groups to go and to serve alongside them so that we're not just a church that writes a check every month. And in the last 50 years, we have financially given over $40 million to missions. Why? Why give so much of our time and our energy and our resources and our people to other ministries? Is there not great work that needs to be done here? Well, there's a few reasons that we do this. There's a few reasons that we have valued missions and we always will. And the first is that partnering with local and global missions keeps us kingdom focused. We are only one church in Whitestown, Indiana. And for many years of this church's history, it's just been a couple hundred people in Boone County. 
and I hate to break it to you, but we are not at the center of what God is doing in all the earth. God is doing in the world, he's par- and he's invited us to partner with other local and global missions as they continually remind us that God is on a mission amongst every people and every nation. You see, the mission of God's people is global because we serve a global God. And he's doing even greater kingdom work in other places than here. The second reason is that missions keeps us people-focused. At the end of the day, God loves people. His heart is that no one made in his image and those who he created, they would continue living in spiritual death and darkness. But he reconciled them through his son back to him to receive eternal life. You know, we can get so lost in our church programs and our ministry ideas and things that New Hope's doing and promoting and events that we have and what songs that we like to sing on Sunday and what coffee should we be serving in the coffee bar. But at the end of the day, none of that really matters. People matter, not all of our churchy religious stuff. And so the mission always has and always will be about people and this partnership and missions puts us in position to best love, serve, and save people. The next is that mission keeps us prayer dependent. The mission that we've been called to is too great for us to do on our own. In in our own strength, we are inadequate, and by our own good works, we are unqualified. And so we pray, and we fast, and we daily rely on the strength of God to go out and to accomplish this mission and to be his ambassadors as we desire to make disciples of Jesus. Missions also keeps us unified. Having a mission and a purpose for the global church requires us as New Hope to put aside our personal differences because of our uniting faith in Christ, because of this mission we've been called to. Partnering with local and global missions requires us to work together with other Christians who do church a little differently than we do, other churches and Christians who worship differently than we do, and surprisingly other churches who even understand the Bible a little differently than we do. And so accomplishing this mission will not be done by one individual. The kingdom will never be built by one church or a group of churches that all believe uh, the same thing. But God has required us to partner with other Christians here and around the world to accomplish this great mission, and that's by God's design. The last reason why we will continue to value our partnerships with local and global missions is that missions keeps us Christ-like. Henry Martin said, the spirit of missions is the spirit of Christ. The more intensely missional we live, the more like Christ we become. And David Livingstone wrote, God only had one son, and he made him, of all things, a missionary. So that's why we at New Hope will always, have always, and will continue to partner with local and global missions. And that's what we're doing. But what about you personally? What about you and your family? How are you partnering with God? How are you partnering with this church and with his people to accomplish this mission? So here's a few questions to help you maybe answer that question for yourselves. First question is, do your words... Your actions and your finances reflect a heart for God's mission. Because we tend to talk about the things that we care about. We tend to do the things that we like to do. And we spend our money on things that we want to have or that we want to be a part of. Second question is, do you partner and serve with any local missions? So many of our local ministries in this community specifically are begging for more people, more of us who will come alongside them and sometimes just giving a couple hours a week to help them meet the needs and to accomplish the mission that they've been called to in our own community for our neighbors. And some organizations in our community, while they're doing really good work, 
they don't have a gospel focus or a gospel emphasis. They're not sharing that message, and therefore they need ambassadors like you and me to come alongside their works to spread the message so that we're not only meeting physical needs in our community, but we're meeting the spiritual needs of our community. The third question is, is your prayer life missional? Do you pray for people in your life who aren't saved, who do not know the Lord, the God who created them? Would you say your prayers are more kingdom-focused, or are your prayers more you-focused? The last question, do you support and encourage or plan to visit any of our missionaries overseas? Ask any missionary who's, been, who's answered the call on their life to leave their homeland and to be his ambassador in another country. Now we just had a, the Weddells just came back from visiting Diana, and they, she shared with them what it was like to be a single woman on the mission field during COVID. It can be lonely, isolating, disorienting. It's exhausting, and many times they question if they should even be there at all. All of our missionaries on our website and at the mission wall have contact information. You can write to them. Most of our missionaries have newsletters and social media pages that we as a church can subscribe to to celebrate and encourage the work that they're doing. And when they ask for prayer, we can actually know what specifically to be praying for through what they send out every single month. Or what if you personally, not just as a church supporting these 18 missions, but what if you personally or your family chose one and chose to specifically rally around that mission or that missionary and become their biggest cheerleader and to connect with them and to serve with them? All of our missionaries are a, are a uh, plane ride or a, a drive away. You can literally go visit them. As uh, we just had a family in our church go visit Spain. They were vacationing. They visited Diana to support and to encourage her work there. You see, valuing missions means more than just talking about it or putting a missionary on your fridge or writing a check. Valuing missions means that we as a church have to live missionally. And you learn to do that not by just believing in Jesus, but by following him. I read this this week. I thought was really good. It says, you know you're a follower of Jesus if you're going to places you would have never gone, if you're talking to people you would have never talked to, doing things you would have never done, learning things you would have never known, and seeing things you would have never seen. I followed Jesus uh, for quite a few years, and I followed him to Joplin, Missouri to help clean up after the tornadoes of people who lost everything. We followed him to Birmingham, Alabama to help uh, put roofs on houses and to build ramps for people who are wheelchair-bound in their home. I followed him to New York City several times to serve the homeless. I followed Jesus to New Orleans to muck houses in the lower ward after Katrina, where, talk about a core memory, I will never forget the smell of deep freezes that sat underwater in the New Orleans heat for months. And especially as a teenager, I will never forget going up into the attic to pull out nails and to see the scratch marks on the plywood of families who were trying to escape the water, and they went up into the attic, to, and then they ended up not making it out. I've followed Jesus to the Ivory Coast of Africa to visit and encourage a missionary that our church supported, uh, walking from village to village, visiting uh, the local churches. I've followed Jesus to Haiti to build homes uh, for people, and we walked the tent cities of the poorest people in the world and as a kid, seeing other kids playing in the trash. I followed Jesus to Knoxville, Tennessee, so that he could better teach and train me to lead worship and to preach um, for his church. I followed Jesus to Mexico, as Caitlin and I tried to discern if he was calling us to full-time missions and church planting. And now, I followed Jesus to Whitestown, Indiana, to serve and to minister to you as you go and make disciples in this community. You see, for most of my life, I thought missions 
was about fulfilling God's command to go and do. But I've come to learn that it's more about accepting God's invitation to come and see. Would you pray with me? Father, you are a missional God who pursues us. And to think that the God of the universe, that you would invite us to come and to work alongside you, to me is absolutely insane. And yet, it's true. Thank you for the legacy of this church, this group of people who for 50 years have followed Jesus. They've lived by faith. They've sacrificed greatly for your kingdom and your mission to seek and save the lost. May it be said of us by the next generation that we took our calling just as serious to missions, that we've lived missionally to bring eternal abundant life in Christ to all people, whether in Whitestown or Boone County or Indianapolis, this country or around the world. Father, wherever we go, wherever you send us, may we be faithful ambassadors for Christ. Amen. Let's stand together.